She's back. She's back. Your half of your favorite podcast is back. That's right. We've got a solo episode this week. That's right. It's just me, Katie, again, in your head or car or just general speaker. Hi. Um, nice to see you guys or um, feel your presence. Hopefully, uh, you can feel my presence in here as well. Hopefully I'm bringing positive presence to your space, wherever it may be, whether it's literally inside your skull, hello, or um, just like playing out loud. Uh, if other people are around and they can hear this, hey friends, fellow Coconut Grove listeners, uh, you're officially a listener of Coconut Grove because you're actively listening now, maybe. Um, hi. Okay, this is like literally the second time that I've done this intro because I've officially decided intros alone are the most difficult part of doing a solo episode, but that's fine. Each week is a learning process, um, just in general, life advice for you. Um, hi, this is Katie. Uh, this is the Coconut Grove podcast. Each week, uh, we launch episodes on Thursdays. That's new. Um, each week, we show up and we teach you something or tell you something or share something that's kind of on our hearts and on our minds. Usually it has some sort of connection to Los Angeles, whether um, the connecting piece is just ourselves or if there's some relevant news going on um, in our neighborhoods or just high, highly topical um, subjects that people are just pretty much having conversations about throughout LA. Um, this week is no exception. We will be talking about ADHD and specifically how that shows up in people later in life, people who have gone undiagnosed the majority of their life so far. And uh, yeah, this episode is for you. And really for anybody who's curious about ADHD, curious about neurodivergency in general, um, I am considering myself to be an armchair expert uh, the more that I read because I find it quite fascinating the way that our brains operate. And also it's just like, I want to know a little bit more about myself and the people in my life. Um, there are a lot of people in my life with ADHD as well, um, which is funny because we kind of have to learn to work with each other as humans and then work with each other's ADHD because it varies in each human being as we will learn in this episode. So buckle in. It's going to be a fun one. It's going to be probably all over the place. Um, I am medicated right now. So, you know, I, in theory, I should be staying on track, but I get excited about topics like these, especially when I get to talk about something that I have personal experience in. So rambling may ensue. Um, this may be the longest solo episode I've ever done because like I said, I could probably talk to a wall on this topic. Um, and I kind of am doing a solo episode like this. But uh, stay tuned towards the end of the episode because I posted a Q&A on our Instagram page and I have a, a whole list of questions from you guys that you would like to know on ADHD, getting diagnosed, and if we don't answer those questions in the meat of the topic, then we will get to those at the Q&A at the very end. So stay tuned for that. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to do our usual weekly check-in and see, you know, how, how's Katie been? Um, well, I'm so glad you asked. Katie has been great. Um, do I have any stories or updates? I do. Um, I went to Mexico, as you guys heard from last week's episode. I went to Mexico over the weekend. This was my second time going to Mexico ever. And both times were not for vacation. Both times were actually 
to do something very important, and and that is um, go see a vet. <laughs> this is literally the second time I've gone to Mexico for their veterinary services because the ones here in the United States are, they just blow my mind with how costly they are. Um, I might have already said this on last week's episode, but I just really want to like drive this this point home of how ridiculous the veterinary system is. Uh, if you work in the veterinary system in the United States, I do not think you can justify this. So don't even try. Um, you're doing the best you can with the resources you can. And I'm glad that you are doing a job that is much needed. Um, but when we pick up strays off of the side of the road, we should not be expected to pay $500 per cat to get them fixed. When I can just go to the shelter and and buy a cat there fully fixed up for less than 200 even a kitten, you know, like baby, like teeny tiny toddler sized kitten. Um, I can I can buy one fully fixed up from the shelter at a cheaper cost. So just to drive that that point home of why we went to Mexico for the veterinary services. Um we did still spend a lot of money because, you know, we took three cats to Mexico. Yes, you heard that right. Three cats. We have the two um, the two females who gave birth to those kittens last year, and they are fully fixed up. They got all of their testing done. We got some blood work done so we know if they have any pre-existing medical conditions we weren't aware of. And um, I took my oldest, Mr. Bones, and um, he's been having some allergies, so we got him his allergy medicine, um, got some medicine for all the cats, honestly, just for, you know, the things that they're going through. And for the full trip, including gas, including everything, I think we spent around $600, um, and that's including all veterinary services. Bones was the cheapest. He was $15 plus maybe another $10 for his medicine. That's total, including the cost to go see the vet itself. And this is, we're talking same day appointment, walk up. It was $15 plus the medicine, uh, which total would be about $25. And then the girls were a bit more extensive because they did end up having surgery. They needed the anesthesia. They needed to do blood work and things like that. But again, we're talking 600 for the total trip, including like going out for dinner, um, getting coffees, things of that nature. Um, so we love Mexico. We really do. Um, and not just because it's cheap, but because like these people genuinely care. And Ashley's story when she got sick in Mexico, she can vouch for this as well. Um, there's just a lot of care, um, you know, in that nation. And you can really tell how hardworking these people are. So mad respect for Mexico. Love going there. It's beautiful as always. There are some areas that, you know, maybe are stinky or just like are not the cleanest, but I could literally point you in areas of LA that look the same. Um, my boyfriend Nestor and I were joking the whole time, like, are we really in Mexico or are we just in LA? Because the roads look the same in certain areas. The beaches look the same in certain areas. So um, historically, yeah, LA is technically Mexico, but that's besides the point. We're not doing a history lesson here today. Um, yeah, so loved being there. Um, wait, I have this great story that I, I want to finish off this Mexico trip with. So when you're leaving, so we went to Tijuana, um, which is just south of uh, California, honestly, it's on uh, technically Baja, California, but it's right beneath San Diego. So it's right there on the border of the United States, literally right there. Um, and it is the biggest port of entry in the United States and uh, Mexico. So that is the largest port of entry. Um, so the traffic is horrendous. And we're talking like sitting in traffic for three hours just 
to get your passport checked to cross the border. Um, that's not that surprising for people who have had experience crossing the border, um, especially uh, in person on, on like with your car. It takes forever. Um, but yeah, so what what's really funny about Tijuana is that they do not have laws to prevent people from, uh, I guess, walking on the roads, first of all. Um, on the highway and selling things to you on the highway. Um, th this is specific to Tijuana because I do know that in other cities in Mexico, this is outlawed that you cannot do this, but specific to Tijuana. Um, and if you've ever been, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. But while you're sitting in traffic for those three hours, you have somebody pretty much in your window every two seconds offering something for you to buy a final souvenir, if you will. And in this souvenirs list, we're talking like beautiful Mexican pottery with a carafe and matching cups. They had a tequila barrel with the tequila shot glasses. They had blankets. Um, they had balloons. They literally had everything. I, I know that's like such a short list. You're like, okay, four things. That's not everything. Okay. But let me tell you the, the best thing that they, best and maybe worst thing that they had uh, to sell you in this line as you're driving home, puppies, literal puppies. And I'm talking like, like fresh, can barely walk away from their mommy puppies. Like what would that be? Eight weeks? Like teeny tiny puppies, not just one type either. They had freaking poodles, pugs, labs. They had, um, I, I can, I couldn't even tell you, like my mind runs blank when I'm given having to tell you how many options of things that there were, because it was so much. Okay, maybe that's my ADHD brain for you right there. But there were so many options of things, so many options of dogs, so many options of souvenirs, so many people out there working. These people are sitting out there for like eight, 10 hours a day, um, often with their children um, or their children are independently out there working. Um, uh, so we were not expecting this, first of all. So because we we had no idea that this was a thing, we were not expecting to have like extra cash on us right before we were leaving the border. Um, so we didn't have anything. So we were essentially just entertained by the idea of maybe we'll buy a puppy. How much is the puppy? $25, 25 American dollars for the puppy. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I, I'm sure it has nothing done on it. Probably has no shots, probably is not fixed, but we're talking a $25 puppy that they're like, here you go. Do you want it? You want to take it home? Perfectly legal. <laughs> um, so you have that, you have the people who are selling the souvenirs. And then as you're driving further down, you start to see the talent come out. Um, we're talking people with karaoke machines. We're talking kids break dancing. We're talking full on mariachi bands. And we're reaching the end and we have maybe one American dollar left on us, um, which would be like 20 pesos, I believe. So we're reaching the end and we're like, okay, like we couldn't obviously afford to get any of these other items. We you know, maybe if they caught us in a weak moment, we would have bought a dog, like we would have done something, figured it out. But like we had three cats in the back, probably nothing could have convinced us in that specific moment. Yeah. So uh, anyways, we, we reached the end and we're like, okay, we we don't really have much money to give anybody. Um, but we see this kid who's literally like breakdancing by himself and he's like working hard for this cash. And so um, we do what we could, right? We, we try and... <laughs> We try and give him, you know, give him the tip without alerting anybody else that possibly we did have money. Um, when we are reaching the very end of the line and we have some of the very last vendors who are are trying to sell to us, um, 
uh, my boyfriend Nestor is Mexican and he's fluent in Spanish, obviously. Um, so you have you have these people who are speaking to him and they can tell that he's Mexican. He has an accent. He, you know, he might be lighter skinned, but he, you know, doesn't look like a blonde haired, blue eyed American like I do. So they can read through him when he's telling them, oh, I'm not Mexican. I'm actually from the States and things of that sort. Um, so it was pretty funny uh, because they're like, yeah, OK, you can tell me that you're from San Diego. You can tell me you're from Los Angeles. But but I know a Mexican when I see a Mexican. So uh, they were laughing at that. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll, we will know for next time. Um, and for your knowledge, for next time, if you're ever driving across the border from Tijuana back to the United States, just carry extra cash on you. Um, those souvenirs were actually really nice. They they were pretty good quality, and um, I would actually recommend them. There were m moments of weakness where we almost caved, and we're like, okay, how can we charge a credit card here, uh, sitting in line on the border? <laughs> it, it wasn't possible in that moment, but. For your future knowledge, um, bring it, bring, bring some extra cash, bring some souvenir cash because uh, it'll be worth it. And if you're looking for a dog, well, you know where to get him. <laughs> um, we, we were also Googling just like for background information on the dogs, like what happens to the dogs if you don't buy them. And although we can't be 100% sure, um, there are a lot of shelters that are in Tijuana that will rescue those dogs. Um, and there are other programs in place. So if you can't walk away with the dog, don't feel terribly bad. Um, they're not going to a bad place. Um, it seems that there are systems set up. Um, it might not be the most humane way to sell a puppy. Um, and I'm sure there are going to be some people who get a little irritated at that. But hey, don't shoot the messenger. Okay, yeah. So uh, that's Mexico. That That's the story of us going to Mexico, getting cat stuff done, um, seeing puppies, seeing souvenirs, and then just like admiring how hard these people work um, to make ends meet. So um, got to love that. Also, um, just some things that similarities in Los Angeles, as I was talking about just a minute ago, which I find really funny, um, some, or maybe not funny, but ironic. Um, some of the same uh, sales methods that they had in Tijuana, you can see here in LA. Um, so if you're driving down Highland Avenue, and there are plenty of places throughout LA that are similar, but Highland is a pretty recognizable street where you can see this um, with your own eyes. Um, you'll see flower vendors off the side of the road. Um, that is pretty common in Mexico, especially in Tijuana. We saw the same thing. So that's typically where where that idea comes from. And then window washers as well. Um, it was a very alarming experience the first time it happened to me in Los Angeles because I was not expecting it. Essentially, you sit at a red light and somebody walks up with a bucket and a squeegee and starts cleaning your windows for you. And this is a pretty normal thing in Mexico, um, especially in the area that we were. So typically, you know, somebody comes to wash your windows and you just give them a tip. You say thank you. That's how they're making ends meet. And, you know, they're they're working to um, provide a service that's very convenient for you and also very easy for them. So um, in those circumstances, if that ever happens to you in LA, um, you can either accept it and just be prepared to tip them cash. And if you're not, you can just say no thank you, no thank you before they walk up to your window. Um, so the thing is, though, they'll come out of nowhere. Um, we had just washed the car when we were in Mexico. And and as I was sitting at a stoplight a few minutes after we washed the car, the, you know, before you know it, there comes a window washer coming up to your window and you have to be like, no, thank you. No, thank you. Before they start, because as soon as they start, you know, you're kind of an asshole for not tipping them. 
because they washed your windows. So <laughs> heads up, future notice. Um, so just some funny similarities between uh, LA and Tijuana and just um, Mexico in general. So anyways, long, 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 long-winded story. That's Mexico. And on to the other things, the more important things of this week. Uh, okay, so what is my sunshine medicine? I actually have had a very eventful week, um, which is not normal for me. So my sunshine medicine is that I got to go see the Backstreet Boys in concert at the Hollywood Bowl the other night. And that was on a completely unexpected adventure. Um, we did not buy tickets. I did not even know they were coming to town. But one hour before doors open, Nestor texts me, hey, uh, work gave me free tickets to Backstreet Boys. Get ready. We're going in like an hour. Um, so that was one of the most iconic concerts I've ever been to. I have been to three or four concerts at the Hollywood Bowl now, and I've never once paid for tickets. Um, and I don't mean to brag like I'm not pulling my load, but like every time that there's a Hollywood Bowl concert that comes through, somebody has a spare ticket for me and I somehow get a free ticket. I don't know how, but I've literally never paid for a concert at the Hollywood Bowl. I've seen Taylor Swift and Lizzo and Billie Eilish and Jonas Brothers. Like I've seen so many people there and I've never paid for tickets. So love that for me. Um, seeing the Backstreet Boys in concert, I did not think it was going to be as iconic as it was. And that's just on me for... I don't know, for not believing in them or just not realizing the power that the Backstreet Boys still has over us. Um, so I'm like expecting it to be kind of like a half-sold show. There's going to be a lot of space around me, plenty of parking. Like I didn't think anybody knew about this, but I was completely mistaken. I've never seen the Hollywood Bowl so packed. We had to park all the way down on um, Hollywood Boulevard and walk up the street to the Hollywood Bowl. If you're familiar with Los Angeles, it's not a very far walk, but it is an incline. So, um, and it's not very close to the regular parking area whatsoever. It's pretty far down. So that's what we had to do. And once we showed up, uh, probably an hour into them already playing, um, they were like, don't worry, the show's not even halfway over yet. Literally as soon as we got there. So we're like, okay, thank God. Because um, we're just... Two people with ADHD. Come on, we're, we're late to things sometimes. It happens. Um, yeah, it was iconic. They had their white outfits. They did the freaking synchronized dancing. Of course they did the synchronized dancing, you're thinking. That's what they do. Yeah, you're right. But I don't know why. I, I just did not have much faith that this was going to be as life-changing as it was. I'm so happy I went. It was so much fun. I knew way more Backstreet Boys songs by heart than I knew. And um, if you saw my stories, you got to see how amazing they were because I did post it on my stories. It was complete shock. So much fun. That was my sunshine medicine. Okay, what am I looking forward to this week? I'm looking forward to going to Disneyland. Uh, I originally, I was supposed to be going tomorrow on Sunday, but I'm um, sorry, on Friday, but they didn't have tickets. So we bought the tickets for Sunday. So I'll be going to Disneyland with my brother and my boyfriend this Sunday. And it'll be the first time that either of them have gone outside of a holiday, which is really fun because I think both went during like the, either the... Halloween season or the Christmas season. I can't be 100% sure. But either way, there were decorations up that are not going to be there this time. So I'm thrilled to take them to the Haunted Mansion ride because the original is the best and probably spend way too much time in the Star Wars world because we're all, all three of us are really big Star Wars fans. So cannot wait for that. 
Keep an eye out on my stories because I will definitely be posting there. If you guys know me, you know that Disneyland is probably one of my favorite places. It, I mean, come on, it's it's the happiest place on earth, they call it. So that's where I'm going to be. And I'm going to be so happy. Yes. Okay. What's hot this week? Um, so I've said this before, but I'm going to bring it back because it just continues to stay hot. And that is the Skinny Confidential Ice Roller. Um, and I've talked about this before. But it remains to be hot, the product. It just, it, it's so good. It is literally the best face roller ever. And for a long time, I heard a lot of people say the exact same thing. The people who have been using the Skinny Confidential Ice Roller, who use it frequently, regularly, and have used other face rollers in the past, everybody says it's the best of the best. And you know what? After using it every single day for the past, like, I don't know what has how long has it been like a month just over a month maybe a month and a half yeah I agree fully it is the best ice roller face roller anything it's my it is ingrained in my routine I cannot remove it from my routine anytime that I wash my face the next thing that comes out is my face roller it's so refreshing it wakes you up I can't explain it 10 out of 10 every time you have to get your hands on one um, Ashley and I will see if we can get you guys a coupon code maybe down the line. We're looking into getting you guys some more codes and more fun freebies and giveaways. We want to give you guys a little bit more. So maybe we can do that. Get you a skinny confidential coupon. No guarantees, obviously. Okay. What else is hot? So when we were in Mexico, we went to the grocery stores there to stock up on like candy bars, cookies, things of that nature that you can't necessarily get here in LA easily. And we got one of my absolute favorite candy bars that they have there. And it's called the Mamut, M-A-M-U-T. And it's essentially like a chocolate-coated marshmallow bar with like a little bit of a crunchy cookie in the middle. It's so good. It's so good. I cannot explain it. Um, it's like it's like a Girl Scout cookie, kind of like flavor, texture. But it's like the forbidden Girl Scout cookie because it never came out with Girl Scout cookies. Like it was a secret. This is, this is not serious. This is all joke, by the way. Um, it's like they invented this specifically for the Girl Scout cookies, but the Girl Scout cookies were like, no, we have too many cookies. We're going to toss this one out. Um, and then the rest of the world said, no, we need this cookie to exist. And that's how Mamut came. That's not true. None of that is true. That's just how I would best describe it. It is in the same category of deliciousness as a Girl Scout cookie, but you can get it in Mexico and other Mexican markets. So the Mamut Bar, favorite. I also recommend freezing it. That's what, that's probably why it falls in line with the Girl Scout cookies in my mind. It Because you also freeze Girl Scout cookies, and when you freeze them, they're just so good. So yeah, it, it, it must be because you also freeze them. So Mamut, get yourself a Mamut bar, find it, order it online, go to Mexico, do yourself some good. Okay, what else is hot? The Static Nails Cuticle Oil, because I bite my nails all the time and I bite my cuticles and I just treat my fingers terribly, which is really sad, but that's just, um, that's just stimming for me. That's uh, part of ADHD and autism and just like generalized anxiety. Um, so my cuticles never look great and it makes me really sad, especially when I go through moments of really high anxiety or really high stress. I just bite my nails to shit. Um, something I've always done and something I've always tried to get 
control of, but so far, not yet. So what I like to do when I really mess with my nails and really mess with my cuticles and just make my hands look really sad is I pull out my Static Nails cuticle oil because it is hands down the best cuticle oil I've ever used. And I say that because I've used a ton of cuticle oils because my entire life has been a cycle of messing my cuticles up, fixing them, having my nails look really great and then going through periods of really extreme anxiety and then just like ruining my nails again. So I'm coming out of that period of ruining my nails and coming into the period of we're going to have nice nails again. We're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to love ourselves, And with that comes the Static Nails cuticle oil. So you can either buy this through Static Nails, which is the press-on nails um, that I've mentioned a couple of times, or you can buy this at Ulta. I know that they sell this on Ulta now. So get yourself some cuticle oil and make your nails look nice. Um, it works also obviously on the, the nail bed themselves and on the actual cuticle. So you can put it over the entire, you can put it over the entire nail essentially. Um, okay. And then the last thing that's on my what's hot list, because I know you're ready for me to move on to the subject of this week. So the last thing on my what's hot list is mango cheeks, dried mango cheeks. Um, that's just what the bag says. I would just maybe call them like dried mango slices. They're soft mango pieces. Um, I deal with some, um, like stomach issues. I, go through periods of anxiety, or I'm not even sure if I can 100% attribute it to anxiety every single time. But I go through periods where my stomach just feels really sour all the time. I am very sensitive to types of food that I can eat. Sometimes eating makes me more nauseous than not eating. But it's typically certain foods. Um, or I guess it's typically all foods. And then there are certain foods that do not cause this like... Um, queasiness. And usually it's fruit. Usually I can eat fruit okay without feeling more sick. Not all fruits, but I've realized that mango is really soft on my stomach or it it's just, it doesn't irritate my stomach more. So I like to eat a little bit of dried mango when I'm going through periods where I am not feeling very good enough to eat a full meal. So honestly, game-changing that's very hot. Anything that changes my game or changes my life in a positive way, I think that's hot. So mango cheeks. Get yourself some mango cheeks or just dried mango pieces. I got this bag and it's like, it says 16 ounces. I freaking ate the whole thing in two days, which is insane. 16 ounces of mango and it was like $12 at Whole Foods, which is kind of expensive, but it's it was so good. So good. All right. Anyways, that's it for my recap. I've done the longest recap solo. My God. Okay, I'm going to have to really clip this episode down. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself though. Um, okay, that's, that's, the, that's the recap for the week. Let's move on to the topic of the week because you guys have been waiting with bated breath. Tell me about ADHD. Tell me about what it is to be you and what it is to be diagnosed as an adult. Um, I'm happy to. Come along. Let's, let's chat. I ain't sure what HD is, but the doctor just called and said I got 80 of them bitches. Woo! Woo! Okay, I, I hope Ashley is okay with that, but I swapped out our usual middle track with something that felt more appropriate for today's episode. All right, so buckle in. This episode is going to be really fun, really informative, and really personal to me. 
So uh, let's talk about ADHD. And uh, let me just recap what my goals are for this episode so you guys understand kind of what we're going to be talking about and where we're going with this episode. So uh, goal number one, to explain what ADHD is and break down some stereotypes. Goal number two, explain why I got my diagnosis later in life in adulthood. And three, what ADHD looks like in AFAB people and adults. So uh, that's just the general idea of this episode. And then, like I said earlier, we will be doing a Q&A at the very end. And these are questions that you guys have left me on our Instagram or personally messaged me. So let's start with explaining what is ADHD. So from your own experience, uh, I'm sure you know somebody in your own life that has ADHD. Uh, whether they are diagnosed and they already know it, or maybe you're kind of suspicious just uh, knowing what ADHD traits look like. Maybe they're kind of a hyperactive person. They never sit still. They're really bad at time management. Um, those typical stereotypes. So you might understand what an outward view of ADHD looks like, what it would look like to a neurotypical person. So what is what are these words? What do they mean? What does ADHD mean? What does neurotype mean? What is neurotypical? Great question. Let's dive into some of those definitions. Okay, so starting with ADHD, this is going to be the easiest to define and probably the one that you already know. So ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, and it's a brain disorder that affects how you pay attention, sit still, and control your behavior in the simplest of terms. Uh, so what is a neurotype? A, a neurotype is a type of brain in terms of how a person interprets and responds to things like social cues. Um, so when we're talking about neurotypes, people um, of all sorts, of all experiences over the course of the entire world and over the course of the entire history of human existence. There are hundreds of neurotypes. Um, I think it would really take away from the conversation getting into exactly like how many neurotypes there are, because I, I don't think that there's enough research to back that up. Um, so just like as a general loose term for describing um, somebody's perception of the world or how they respond to social cues. So what is neurotypical? Neurotypical is... Um, is kind of like your classic person, like has no issues that you are aware of. They're the most normal of normal um, that society has uh, deemed them to be. So a uh, neurotypical person does not display characteristics of autism or other neurological types such as ADHD or other atypical patterns of thoughts or behaviors. So somebody who um, doesn't have anxiety, somebody who doesn't have ADHD, uh, those are neurotypical people. Um, and the majority of the world is neurotypical or is at least, uh, now this is an argument that um, many people in the uh, neurodivergent space may disagree on and maybe have not come to full conclusions on. Um, but uh, the argument is that there is no such thing as like a single neurotypical person because everybody has slight diversities in the way that their brain reacts and responds to things. Um, so in that vein, um, they're probably right. But just like as a general loose term of somebody who doesn't uh, struggle with anxiety or doesn't struggle with other mental health uh, conditions or disorders that affect the way that they speak to people or respond to people. 
Um, so then what is neurodivergent? Uh, neurodivergent is somebody who differs in a mental or neurological function from what is considered typical or normal. Um, so this term is frequently used, most frequently used to describe somebody who has autism or ADHD. Um, but neuro, uh, neurodivergent actually covers a, a very wide range of mental disorders. Um, so including autism, ADHD, dyslexia, epilepsy, Tourette's and tic disorders, OCD, and uh, more. So those, that's just like a quick short list. So uh, what are the traits of ADHD? So I'm just going to be reading to you um, basically just like a simple Google of <laughs> like if you were to Google yourself, like this is the result that would come up first, most likely, or this is what you would um, typically understand ADHD to look like. So the traits could look like impulsiveness, disorganization, um, and disor disorganized problem solving, poor time management, problems focusing on tasks, trouble multitasking, excessive activity or restlessness, poor planning, low frustration tolerance, frequent mood swings, problems, following and completing tasks, hot temper, and trouble coping with stress. Um, so for me, I I take pretty much all of those. Um, not every single one because I am in my own individual person with my own individual thoughts, beliefs, history, patterns, things of that nature. So um, these don't apply to me like a perfect T, which is why it took me so long to get diagnosed in the first place, but we'll reach that point in a minute. Um, okay, how about some stereotypes? Now, I'm going to be reading to you from a blog that I think perfectly outlines the exact stereotypes of why it took me so long to get diagnosed and why I think uh, a lot of people are in the same boat as me. They're not getting diagnosed when they should be because um, these stereotypes are really heavy on this disorder. So um, one stereotype is only kids can have ADHD. Um, while the symptoms do uh, appear first in childhood, they are lifelong. It's not like I can get over my ADHD just because I am older than 10 years old. Um, yeah, so that is a big myth and it carries throughout your entire life. So um, it is not just affecting children. Um, that's why we're having this conversation. Another myth is people with ADHD are lazy. Um, if you have had any intimate conversation with a person with ADHD, you will know that um, that's the last thing that they want to be. It's that we have uh, a lot of sensory processing issues or we have a lot of issues placing uh, tasks in order of how they should be, how they should go. We take way too much thought behind things in order for us to get started behind a task. So that's a big misconception. Uh, people with ADHD aren't smart. Um, I don't know who has ever said this before, um, but you're dumb. <laughs> like if that if you if you've come to the conclusion that just because uh, we might not sit still uh, that we are not smart, um, yeah. I'm just going to have to put that back on you. You're not smart for making that assumption. Um, IQ does not have any relationship to ADHD whatsoever. Um, another myth is that ADHD only comes in one type. Um, that's not true at all. And um, even looking at this article, the, they're outlining three different types of ADHD. I would even argue that there are more um, levels or um, appearances of ADHD than just one, two, or three. I think that there are a litany of variations of the same disorder. And like I said, each person is unique. Therefore, each person's experiences will be unique. 
just so you have it, I will give you what these um, three types are for your own reference. Um, they categorize ADHD as inattentive ADHD, which is characterized by the lack of attention to detail. And then they characterize another one by hyperactive impulsive ADHD, which is marked by things like fidgeting, running, talking too much. And then the third is like combined, which it, it just feels too easy to me. So I'm going to call this whole thing a myth. Um, I think that there are way more variations of what ADHD looks like than just three. Um, the other myth related to children is that children outgrow ADHD. Yeah, that's not true at all. Um, you can't outgrow it. You can learn to cope with your ADHD, um, which is, again, why it took me so long to get diagnosed is because I spent my entire life coping with these symptoms without getting real help. Um so you can cope with it, and um, that, that, that'll probably only last you so long. Another myth is that only boys get ADHD. Um, we'll get into this a little bit later into the episode, but um, that's a huge misconception, and that is led to uh, many women and AFAB people being underdiagnosed or, or just completely undiagnosed in general um, because this is just the history of medicine. Um, men are always studied more in depth and more in detail. Um, so that's why you see more boys that are diagnosed with ADHD than girls. Um, there is a misconception that anybody who has concentration issues must have ADHD. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell you one way or another. I'm not going to say, oh, just because you can't concentrate, you don't have ADHD. Um, that, that would be very ableist of me because I'm not you and your experiences will speak for yourself. Um, but if that's the start, I think that's enough for you to look a little bit more into your life because the ways that ADHD appear um, are not what we had always been led to believe. So uh, this article is, is trying to debunk the idea that um, anybody who can't concentrate must have ADHD. And the, and the reason why they're saying this is they're, they're trying to explain that there are a litany of different symptoms that come along with ADHD. So you can't just use like your one symptom to claim that, you know, you have this disorder, which I understand. Um, so just do your due diligence. And if you're feeling a certain way and you're feeling like you're questioning it, um, I think that's enough for you to just do some more research. Um, this... Uh, this next myth says medication is the only treatment for ADHD. Now, um, I can kind of speak on both sides of this. I am recently medicated. Um, so I'm taking Ritalin, which is like the lesser of the powerful ADHD drugs. It's still really powerful and it does a lot for me, but I'm still in the testing phase of figuring out what my exact dosage is. So that's what I'm taking. Um, but before that, for the past 28 years, I've never been medicated for ADHD. So the ways that I have coped and been able to manage it are, are habits that I've developed myself to just help myself out. So um, I also do know people with ADHD who are resistant to medication. Um, maybe that's not the actual medical term, but they have attempted to get medicated and uh, their body just does not react well to medicine. Totally a thing. Totally fine. Um, so that's another misconception. Um. This misconception says that ADHD is caused by bad parenting. Um, no, that's like another, where did that even come from? That's just you placing your own judgment on somebody. Uh, those don't correlate whatsoever. Um, this one says kids with ADHD are doomed to a life of failure. Um, you know, I think the way that society has set us up, 
maybe doesn't always set us up for success. But that doesn't mean that we are incapable of success. Um, they line out these examples of people in history who've had ADHD. So we have Emily Dickinson, Robert Frost, Bill Gates, Abraham Lincoln, Elvis Presley, all very successful people in their own right. Um, obviously, not failures. But I will say, speaking from like a societal standpoint, we don't get as much help as we need. And that's exactly why people are getting diagnosed so late because society has not set us up for success yet. So uh, not, a, not, not entirely debunking that one. So um, those are the stereotypes. And I'd be curious to know, uh, have you perpetuated these stereotypes? Are you a victim of these stereotypes? Let us know. Have you believed these stereotypes before? Have you always known that these were just like bad ways of thought? Kind of curious. Okay, so now I'm going to describe to you what ADHD feels like from a firsthand experience. Now, teeny disclaimer here I am one singular person with ADHD. I'm not going to be able to accurately describe everybody's experience. I also have additional mental health conditions on top of ADHD that kind of blend in. Um, so sometimes it's kind of hard to decipher what is what and where is coming from where and what symptom starts first. But at least this will give you a starting point to understand where this thought process started. So the first time that I ever thought that I might have ADHD was when I first learned about it in middle school. And the way that they described it, like, really hit the nail on the head for me. It was like, you know, really desperate to concentrate, but brain wanders without it, without your permission. Or... um you know, really wants to sit still, but there's like an engine inside of you that's pushing you so that you're not able to sit still. Like it's against your own will. You feel like something from inside of you is pushing and motivating your your habits, your actions and things like that. Basically, the first time that I ever heard of ADHD and heard these symptoms described, I was like, well, dang it, there it is. Like that's why I have such a hard time and why I feel like such a bad student um, and that's why I feel like so drained and stressed out after school all of the time, because I, I feel like I'm doing two or three times extra than my peers are, and they seem to be fine, and their homework is getting turned in on time, and they're reading instructions correctly, and they're never having teachers pull them aside and ask them to be quiet, and they're never having to be moved around class. And, you know, there were all of these things that I kind of were doing against my own will in some way. Um, other people with ADHD might relate to this. They might not. Um, but I felt like as much as I wanted to sit down and behave and be quiet, it just was really against my natural state, against my own human nature. So I would kind of either resist that or find opportunities to let out whatever that energy was inside of me. Um, so yeah, that was when I first discovered it in middle school. And it, it kind of was like, oh, there, there it is. That's me. But as soon as the presentation was done and there were kids in class who were like, yeah, I have ADHD, they were basically telling everybody else that they didn't have it who was not diagnosed because they were like, well, you would know if you had ADHD. You would know. Um, it's not something that you just can't get your homework done. It's not something that you can't just sit still. It's way deeper than that. And if you just claim you have ADHD and you've never been diagnosed, you're, you know, being really harmful to the community and to the diagnosis. 
And I get that in some ways, but also that rhetoric in and of itself is really harmful because that prevented me from getting tested when I first thought it could have been me. Um, I also recently learned that my older brother also has ADHD. And the way that I remember our childhoods and the way that I remember us reacting and acting to things, uh, I can totally see it now as an adult. But like, as a kid... I would have been like, well, same. Um, I might not be jumping up and down the exact same way that my older brother is, but it makes sense to me and it feels good um, to, you know, twirl around, jump on things and whatnot. And, you know, again, disclaimer, some of this may have been autism for me growing up. Um, I, I believe that I'm a sensory seeker. I don't know if I need to be autistic to describe myself as a sensory seeker. I think that's just who I am in general. Um, so I go out and I seek things that bring me joy in a sensory way. Um, things that, you know, I could touch, things that I could see, things that I can listen to, um, things that I could smell, basically just like all your five senses, the ones that feel really, really good. I wanted more of those. It it didn't look the exact same as my older brother and that he was literally jumping, running, uh, expelling all of his energy like, you know, teenage boys do in a hyperactive way. For me, I have a really hard time listening to instructions. And it's not that I can't listen and it's not that I can't comprehend instructions. It's that the ways that they're given to me are they make more sense for a neurotypical person than somebody with ADHD. So I struggle in those areas a lot as a kid. Yeah, I I vividly remember in high school um, kind of like reaching this point where I got desperate of my own ADHD because it was getting in my way of my studies, getting in the way of my grades up until maybe junior year of high school. I had A's and B's. Um, once I hit my junior year of high school, I was getting C's and F's. We didn't have D's in our school system, just for your own reference. Um, but I started failing my classes. And I remember in um, it was a science class that was very difficult for me. I could not wrap my mind around 90% of the information, um, which which made me feel bad because I genuinely do like science. I enjoy science. I enjoy learning. Um, but my environment was just not optimal for me to learn. I had, um, not only did I have friends in that class that I would talk to, um, my classmates, uh, some of them were older and they had classmates, you know, that they shared from their own grade and they would talk all the time. So it was either I was listening to the conversations of my friends or I was listening to conversations of my older classmates instead of listening to the actual lessons. So I, I remember emailing my teacher basically being like, don't tell anybody that I'm doing this. Don't tell a single person that this was my request. You do not tell my friends. You do not tell my classmates, but I need you to rearrange our seating like immediately because I cannot learn like this. I'm sitting too close to people that I know and I'm sitting too close to people that are talking during lessons that I cannot concentrate in. I just cannot deal with uh, external noise that should not be there. It's not that I can't deal with multiple noises. I think it's like when there is an obtrusive noise that it does not belong, I cannot think. I cannot process my thoughts. And the only thing my brain knows how to do is like shut my mouth and like focus my ears on the sound, which doesn't help anybody. 
Um, so she was really nice and agreed to rearrange our seating, agreed to move me, and agreed to keep her mouth shut that it was my idea in the first place. So, um, yeah, a lot of my symptoms did show up in school. A lot of my symptoms obviously show up in childhood. But because we don't know enough about how it shows up in girls, how shows how, how it shows up in women, and how it shows up in people assigned female at birth, people are getting diagnosed way later than they need to be. Uh, I absolutely could have been diagnosed as a child. I could have been diagnosed in middle school the year that I learned about it. I really would have gotten my diagnosis right then and there. But the misconceptions that I had about ADHD stuck around. Therefore, here I am, 28 years old, finally getting my diagnosis. a little bit more in detail about why I decided to get my diagnosis because you're probably wondering at this point like okay if you had already known <laughs> that early as a kid that you probably did have ADHD why did it actually take you so long like what what's the story there all right I'll bring you along um picture this no I'm just kidding my story isn't really that unique um I really just ignored all of those parts of myself or found ways to make them work for me. So the symptoms that really disrupted my life for a period of time, they didn't. For a period of time, I really had a grip on things. And it wasn't until I was thrown in very specific situations that I was not capable of handling or didn't have the resources to handle. Those are when my symptoms came, I mean, not necessarily came back, but really showed themselves to me. Like, here I am, you cannot ignore that you have ADHD. You've ignored it too long. Is it bad that my story starts with TikTok? Um, yeah, I'm going to say it's not bad because it's the truth. And I'm sure that are, there are a lot of other people out there with the same story. It started with a TikTok that called you out and you had no other choice but to face the truth. Um, but backing up a little bit further, um, I guess the first time that I started questioning do I, do I have ADHD? Is there something wrong with me that I've just been ignoring this whole time? Like, what is going on? Um, after I started dating my boyfriend, Nestor, uh, who has diagnosed ADHD, uh, there were just a lot of similar ways that we would react to things or a lot of ways that I saw my younger self doing in him. Um, and that's not to say that like, oh, I've worked through that. I'm better than that. No, no. It's like there are certain things that I'm like, dang, I, I used to do that. And now I've created this like coping mechanism, whether it's a good one or a bad one. Um, those things are still to be determined. There were there were th certain things that I could relate to on a specific level that I had never been able to relate to anybody else in my life before. That's what also made our relationship so magnetic, I think, to the both of us. Uh, is because our ADHD really has us hyperfixate on things. So uh, I probably absolutely hyperfixated on my relationship with my boyfriend in the beginning. But because of that, I was like also hyper observant in the ways that he did things, said things, reacted to things, saw the world. And that's also what kind of like made our relationship so magnetic is because 
a lot of it was relatable. I could relate to the way that he was understanding the world. And again, I had never been with somebody or had ever really shared that experience so intimately of what it is like to view the world and have somebody understand it like I did. So I started doing a little bit more research just to like be a good girlfriend and understand like how can I be in a relationship with somebody with ADHD and not make their life worse, make their life harder. And then I'm like, okay, as I'm reading, I'm seeing that this is just me. All right, fine. I'm just going to ignore this and we'll come back to it later. We'll circle back around to it, right? Some corporate talk. And the circling back around took me to TikTok, or rather TikTok circled itself back around to me with a ton of ADHD memes, jokes, videos. At first, I was sending these to Nestor just alone, like, haha, this is you. And then slowly, and like by the day, by the hour, these TikToks got more and more specific to who I am. But it wasn't until I started getting the autism TikToks that I've mentioned here before, where these people are explaining symptoms of autism, especially in women and people assigned female at birth. And I was relating to those like deeply. And then I started having to take a big look at my life. Like, all right, we're relating to autism and ADHD TikToks. And uh, we're relating to people's stories that we've never really... Um, shared on our own before. We've never vocalized these stories before, these feelings, and there are these other people out there that are doing exactly that. They're vocalizing how I feel in a way that I didn't even know was possible. I didn't know that, you know, I had these similar feelings or similar experiences to other people. It just, it made me feel less unique, but also like way less alone in all of the best ways. Uh, being unique only feels good when people are looking at you and like in a in a way of admiration, not in a way of desperation, which is often the look that we get with ADHD is people desperate to understand us or desperate for for us to live our lives in the ways that they do, that neurotypical people do. So I'm I'm getting these TikToks. I'm doing a ton of research on autism. And, and slowly, like, submerging myself in all things ADHD, autism, and, like, neurodivergency in general so I could really understand. Like, something about me is, like, I really don't like to say that I am something or I have something unless I'm 100% accurate or, or unless I believe it within, like, my soul of souls. Because, like, the second that I misspeak, I will think about that forever. The second that I'm like, oh, I, I'm I'm this thing, and then it's completely debunked, I'm, I'm going to be thinking about how I told people for the rest of my life that I was a thing that I wasn't. So I really try and do my research, or at least, like, if I can't be 100% sure, I got to know my gut is 100% sure. And my gut just would not leave me alone. It kept saying, like, I think you need to look into this more. I think you need to look into ADHD and autism more and figure out what about you is ticking in the wrong ways and what about you ticks in the right ways and how we can do more of that. How I could live my life from a happier point of view and not from a point of view where I'm constantly feeling like I'm struggling, which, you know, I, I, I hit moments of that even still. But especially as I was looking into my mental health and possible mental health diagnoses. All right, we're nearing the end of the episode. 
So I want to wrap it up a little bit. I want to tell you a little bit about how ADHD presents itself in adults, in women, and uh, people assigned female at birth. Uh, so I'm going to be pulling from um, a research article for this one. And obviously, as always, all of our research is going to be linked down below. So if you want to get into some additional reading, learn a little bit more, dive even deeper than this little podcast, you have a place to go. Um, so let's read from this article. Uh, an accurate ADHD diagnosis in women and girls requires establishing a symptom history and understanding its gender-specific presentation. Coexisting anxiety and depression are prominent in female patients with ADHD. Satisfactory academic achievement should not rule out an ADHD diagnosis. So that goes into the whole, like, is she smart? Is she not? Uh, debunked myth from earlier. So this says that women and girls with ADHD have a distinct symptom presentation with internalized symptoms. Uh, examples are inattentiveness, impulsiveness, and hyperactivity. These symptoms are more likely to be overlooked by knowledgeable informants as they are less likely to be referred as uh, diagnosed. I'm sorry, they are less likely to be referred for diagnoses or treatments. Females with ADHD may develop better coping strategies than males with ADHD and as a result can better mask or mitigate the impact of their ADHD symptoms. Um, when it comes to masking, that's something that I do a lot. I do the most. I am the maskiest of masky people. That's not even a word, but that's that's the truth. I am I I learned this after doing more research into autism. Both autism and ADHD have this trait called masking and essentially it's a learned behavior that neurodivergent people have to essentially fit in with society. So the things that we do that are um, like red flags for ADHD, we mask them. Same thing for autism. If it's a recognizable trait or if it looks abnormal to the neurotypical world, that's called masking. And that's something that autistic people and people with ADHD do. Okay, so good maskers, essentially. This also says a mixed diagnosis of ADHD in women and girls may occur when anxiety or depression uh, symptoms present themselves in association with ADHD because the symptoms of ADHD may mistakenly be attributed to coexisting conditions. And then it also says that greater awareness on the part of the healthcare professional regarding the specific symptom profiles of ADHD in women and girls is necessary for proper diagnosis and treatment. Um, so what does that all mean in a couple of sentences? Basically, what we were saying earlier, that uh, men and boys were studied a lot more in depth, a lot more in detail on what ADHD symptoms look like. And because of that, the diagnostic process leans heavily towards men instead of women um, on the binary scale. So uh, let me read to you a little bit on how the symptoms present themselves specifically in women, girls, and AFAB people. Um, so they also, this article also describes like the three main presentations. I'm, I'm, I guess this is the way that they look at it. Um, so if we're looking at it from a very broad point of view, the, the three presentations being inattentive, hyperactive, and then the combination. Uh, so this kind of breaks it down. This is the inattentive presentation. Fails to give close attention to details or makes careless mistakes. Has difficulty sustaining attention. Does not appear to listen. Struggles to follow through with instructions. Having difficulty with organization. 
avoids and dislikes tasks requiring sustained mental effort, they lose things easily, is easily distracted, and forgetful of daily activities. And then the hyperactive presentation would be talks excessively, fidgets and often needs to get up and walk around, acts impulsively or speaks before thinking, appears to daydream, but will explain her thoughts and feelings like they are going a million miles a minute, has trouble keeping up with the topic on her mind. You will see me lose track of my thought like in earlier episodes before my diagnosis, before um, getting medicated, you will see many instances and honestly, probably also cut those out. But there are many instances where I will just forget my track of thought as I'm speaking. It's so frustrating. Um, another symptom is easily makes friends but has difficulty sustaining friendships. Ouch. Uh, self-harming activities or activities that require extreme or unhealthy discipline. Uh, so that kind of goes into the hyperfixation that I was talking about earlier. Uh, another one is um, they have to compensate for additional strategies, leading them to work two to three times harder than her peers. And then the last one on this says fears rejection by peers and friends. Um, so do those appear in your life or in the life of your friends? I wonder. It definitely does appear in the life of me. All right. And before I get into the q and I want to do another little quiz taking session with you guys. Last week, we did a quiz on what my toxic trait is. Both Ashley and I took it, and then we posted on our stories to invite you guys to take it as well. I want to keep that pattern up. I'm a big test taker. I like tests. I don't know why. I think they're fun. So I want to take this test with you guys so you can get a sense of where you fall on the scale, on the spectrum of ADHD, as it's starting to be recognized as a spectrum. So let's do this quiz. And I'm pulling it from this website called I Am Paying Attention. And it's a resource specifically for people with ADHD and autism, uh, primarily ADHD, but they do have uh, resources for autistic people as well. A lot of manuals, uh, workshops, and things of that nature. They also have a quiz to see if you are possibly someone with ADHD. So let's take this quiz. The first question says, do you tend to avoid or delay getting started on a, on a new important task? Example, you know you really need to do laundry because you have no clean clothes and need some for the week ahead, but you can't seem to find it and you can't seem to get it into the washing. Instead, you just worry about doing it. Um, and the scale they say is never, rarely, sometimes, often, or very often. So do I avoid getting started on a new important task. I'm going to say, I'm going to say very often on that one. Do you find that the majority of your tasks, work, school assignments, etc., are boring or repetitive, making them difficult to complete? Example, the idea of starting a new project at work seems exciting when you're talking about it with your supervisor, but when it actually comes to doing the task, you can only seem to manage the bits that excite you before you use all of your energy and it seemingly disappears. Never, rarely, sometimes, often, very often. That one happens to me very often. I need to be like completely interested in it for me to want to. Not to say that I don't do my work. It's, it's like dragging feet. Next question. Do you find yourself making careless mistakes when engaged in something that you feel is boring, repetitive, or difficult? Example. 
You finally find the energy to book that doctor's appointment you've been putting off for months, but when it comes to attending, uh, it turns out that you've actually written it down wrong, so now you have to reschedule and wait all over again for another one. Delightful. Um... I'm going to say that I do that sometimes. I am a very good scheduler. I try not to forget anything that I've ever wanted to schedule or ever think about. Um, I think that is probably where the autism starts to take over is I need routine and I need schedules. So the more consistent things are for me, the easier it is. Um, so that's the sometimes answer for me. Next question. How often do you feel restless or fidgety? I don't even need to read the example. I am always fidgety. So some ways that I didn't describe what fidgeting looked like for me um, that might differ from other people with ADHD, um, I fidget by uh, moving in my chair a lot. I'm constantly swaying my chair. I'm constantly swaying my legs. I'm constantly picking at my nails, my cuticles, like I was saying at the very beginning of this episode. I will pick out my split ends. Um, I'm just constantly fidgeting. Um, yeah. I'm never not moving. So I'm going to go ahead and answer that one very often. Do you regularly fail to remember important appointments or obligations? Example, you don't entirely trust your memory to text one of your favorite family members a happy birthday, but because you want them to know you care, you write it in your calendar and your reminder app. When it rolls around, you get the reminder, but you're engrossed in something, so you tell yourself you'll do it later. Fast forward to groveling and panicking that you're an awful person because... That day did in fact pass and you did not remember even after you sent the reminder and the reminder text. Um, I'm going to say sometimes for the same reason that I said sometimes on the last answer, I feel like I'm very good about schedules. That's just the way my brain works. Next question. Do you have difficulty unwinding or feel often on the go? That's what I was talking about earlier with like the battery inside you that just keeps you operating without your <laughs> permission. So the example says, you've had a really long day of socializing and intense focus work. So when you get home and you're ready to relax, you try and watch TV, but you just can't seem to zone out. You try to read a book, but that doesn't hit the spot. It's almost like figuring out what will relax you in that moment takes considerable energy itself. Yay! Um, I'm going to say very often. Well, I'm going to say often because I am also not great at determining what is good energy, what is too much energy. Um, I think that's just like my general downfall. So I'm going to answer often. Next question. Do you have difficulty concentrating on people when they are speaking to you? Example, you have no idea where the toilet is in the restaurant. You've never been there before. So you ask the employee where it is. And you need to focus on what they're saying so you can actually find it. Turns out that focusing on what somebody's saying and processing it is two tasks in one. So now you have to desperately hope that you got them right whilst also praying that your bladder is on your side. Nice. Um, difficulty concentrating when people are speaking to you very often. Do you frequently misplace things or have difficulty finding them? Example, you tell yourself, no, I'm really great at keeping track of my things. Apart from every time you leave the house, you're frantically looking for your keys because they could literally be anywhere. And whenever you want to watch TV, you've searched every single room for your glasses before you're even able to watch it. It's almost as though you just stick things down and get distracted. 
I'm going to say sometimes on that one for the same reason as the sometimes that I've been answering on the other ones. I just feel like I'm really good about keeping things where I need it. Now, it does happen to me, and it happens more when somebody else has touched the other thing. Um, this happens way more to Nestor than it does to me. Um, I, I'm always like, the thing goes in its home, and when something has its home, then I don't like to put it elsewhere because it has a place it belongs. So that's my sometimes answer. Okay, two more questions. Are you typically distracted or find it hard to focus when there is an activity or noise around you? Example, ever worked in an open office? Did you find it impossible to focus? <laughs> There's literally zero chance you'll be able to find remote productivity if your room is always full of people because those are distraction zones galore. If you struggle to apply your focus anyways, having more things to take away from is a greater task and it's far than ideal. Do I get distracted all the time from noise around me? Very often. Okay, last question. Do you ever find yourself avoiding situations like waiting your turn in line when waiting is expected and appropriate? Example, at the grocery store. Example, <laughs> you're waiting at the bus stop and there is no indicator for how long you're going to be waiting. And regardless of whether it's four minutes or four hours, this wait feels like hell. You know what? That I've never actually thought about that one, but that is 100% me. Something that I can I can use to back that up is I used to be like a, a bus rider pretty much all the time. I didn't have a car until recently. So um, if I if I don't know what the bus time is or if the bus is going to be taking longer than expected, I'd rather walk even if that means that I'm going to be taking longer to get to my destination. It's the waiting part that I cannot do. It's like, I, would I rather walk 20 minutes or would I rather wait 10 minutes and then be on the bus for five? I'd rather walk that 20 because waiting that 10 minutes is, is horrible. <laughs> okay, let's submit my answers and see what I get. <laughs> okay, so my score says you sure related to a lot of these questions, partner, with a little cowboy emoji. It says you've scored pretty high, which is indicative of ADHD. And then they give a disclaimer saying like, we're not doctors. This is not a medical tool or diagnosis. And that's fine because I have already received my diagnosis. Um, yeah, I don't think I've actually explained how I got the diagnosis yet. I think that might be one of my Q&A questions, but just like a quick, like, recap on it. Basically, after doing so much research on autism, I told my psych that I was looking into getting an autism and an ADHD diagnosis. And she said, I can give you the ADHD diagnosis. Don't you worry about that. And then we scheduled it. She asked me a bunch of questions, ran through the DSM-5, and here I am. So, short and sweet. How about some Q&A? Uh, just like I thought, the very first question says, what made you think you had a disorder and what was the diagnostic process? Uh, so I kind of covered it a little bit already. What made me think that I had the disorder was just like existing in my life for 28 years with just pure dysfunction. Um, and just being really honest with myself that the things that I was doing or the way that I was approaching tasks or the ways that things were frustrating me was dysfunctional in some way, shape, or form. So um, especially when I started working from home, especially post-COVID, I think that's when my symptoms really like got the best of me. Um, I had a lot more time um, with, I needed more time to process sensory things. I needed more time to, 
um, get simple tasks done. I had a ton of executive dysfunction. I still have a ton of executive dysfunction. That's probably the symptom that gets in the way of my life the most. And executive dysfunction basically shows up kind of like the quiz was saying, like, you can't get laundry done even though you need to get laundry done. You can't put your clothes away even though that's the way you're supposed to do things. Um, you find yourself struggling a lot with stuff that you just like shouldn't struggle with, like regular things, just daily tasks. If you find moments of your life that you're like, oh, why am I struggling to do regular things like brush my teeth, take a shower, do laundry, run errands, go shopping, all of the things that normal regular humans do. How come I'm struggling with that? Maybe you have executive dysfunction. And that is a cause to look into your mental health and realize where is that executive dysfunction coming from. And then the second half of the question was, what was the diagnostic process? So um, I have a psychiatrist that I see regularly for my anxiety. Um, I've gotten, um, uh, I, I used to see her for my depression, um, but primarily that I see her for anxiety and now for ADHD. So the process basically was me telling her that I wanted this to get this test done and to confirm that I do have ADHD. Basically, what they do is they give you a quick screening and they ask you what your symptoms are now and also in childhood because they want to confirm that this is like a lifelong disorder and not something that they can point at, you know, maybe trauma or something else in your life that's causing these similar symptoms. So first they run through some sort of screening to get those um, basic questions done. And then you, you answer them like on a scale, like rarely, sometimes, always, often like that kind of thing, like we were just reading. It's a very similar scale. And then after the screening, they, uh, the doctor reads from the DSM-5, which is a diagnostic screening manual. And this is what basically will diagnose you with any sort of mental health disorder. Um, autism is also on this as well as OCD. Um, many disorders are on here. So basically she reads from the DSM-5, goes through the criteria and asks if I basically check all those boxes. I had to show a couple examples from childhood to, I guess, justify it. I don't know if justify is the right word, but to show that I'm not making it up and that these symptoms have been lifelong. So that's the process. It took maybe I think in total 40 minutes, it was a 40 minute session, including um, the depression screening to just recap all of that and the anxiety anxiety screening, um, which I do regularly with, with this doctor anyways. Next question is, does this diagnosis affect your autism journey in any way? Um, yes and no. Um, as I've mentioned a couple times, autism and ADHD share a lot of symptoms. They look very similar on the outward appearance. So for the people in my life who I had told that I'm looking at both autism and ADHD, they've asked me, are you sure it's not just ADHD? Are you sure it's also autism as well? And, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I can speak from my own personal experiences of the way that I feel internally and the way that I feel externally, the way that I process things, the way that I see the world. Um, so in some ways, it does not affect my journey because I'm still pursuing uh, my autism diagnosis, just personal choice. Not everybody who is autistic wants a diagnosis. It's just my own personal choice. Um, but it also validates a lot of things <laughs> that I recognize about myself, like 
if I was right about ADHD, what's not to say that I'm, I'm, you know, wrong about autism? Because I know myself and I know the way that things present themselves. I know the ways that the symptoms present themselves in me that are different than other people and also the similarities in the people that are diagnosed with these disorders. So yeah, kind of goes both ways. I am feeling validated that I, I know myself well enough to be able to say, hey, look, I have all these symptoms. This is my life experience. This is my history. Diagnose me with this, please. And being able to. Uh, I hope to have this similar process with the autism diagnosis, although I do know it's a lot more robust. It's a lot more detailed and it requires a lot more energy. So we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, but yeah, feeling validated and also like, okay, let's let's do this next one. Let's do the one that is a little bit more difficult to diagnose um, as a woman in adulthood. Um, so it really doesn't affect too much. It just makes me excited to, I guess, dive in more, kind of knowing more about myself now, being able to attend to my ADHD symptoms and then now um, focus on my autism symptoms. The next question are signs and symptoms of ADHD. Uh, we explained those earlier in the episode. Just rewind a little bit if you skipped to the Q&A portion. Rewind, I give you guys a whole list of signs and symptoms um, that are, you know, very common in a lot of people and also uh, specific to women. What is ADHD? What kind of behaviors does it cause? And how does it look? So it looks different in everyone, but the, there are similarities that we will all share. Um, so my boyfriend has really bad time blindness. Um, he will argue with me saying that he doesn't, but I have seen him consistently two hours late for some things, um, and that just could not be me. So I do not relate to time blindness in that way. But if you give me something, for example, um, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with The Sims and I would stay up until 4 a.m. thinking it was only maybe 11 p.m. I would be up like till the wee hours of the morning because I did not realize how much time has passed. Um, it happens to me sometimes, but I don't think it's a very common trait. Um, but that's something to look out for. Um, the executive dysfunction is a big red flag for somebody with ADHD because we do not function. <laughs> We try and we try and function, but we forget things like it, for my mom, um, it looks like uh, her forgetting to look through her mail or uh, forgetting to register her car on time. I, I mean, same. But those are things that are very specific to her. As far as the the part of the question where, where it asks, what behaviors does it cause? That's kind of a trick question, I think, because everybody's ADHD is going to have them behave slightly differently, I think also depending on their coping mechanisms and uh, their life. But I guess as like a general, like if I'm generalizing ADHD, it could look like um, somebody who is forgetful or um, somebody who's often late or um, somebody who constantly is talking faster than they're thinking so they lose track of thought. I feel like those are common behaviors. The next question says, what is it like living with ADHD for you? Um, I'm gonna be honest, I don't know all the way. I'm still figuring it out because I'm also still trying to figure out what autism looks like for me and how they're different and, and where the distinct line is between the two. I don't know yet. 
Um, so some things of both autism and ADHD, what they look like for me that I don't know if I could really distinguish which is which, um, is, yeah, definitely thinking faster than I can talk. That's like a huge one for me. Um, or I'm sorry, backwards because I mix things up quite often here. I'm going to leave this in for you. I'm, I'm, I usually cut these things out. It's my brain stuttering, my words not moving fast enough and constantly switching words like around all the time. Now, I don't know if that's specific to ADHD, but it happens to me all the time and it drives me crazy. I will mix my words up. Um, if somebody says a word, I'll repeat the word, even though that's not the word I was going to say. Like if somebody's like, hey, pass me the envelopes and I'm talking to somebody and I'm saying, let's go to, let's go get cold brew. I'll, I will accidentally say, let's go get envelopes. I'm sure that happens to everybody, but it happens to me so frequently. It drives me crazy. I will also flip my words around. I don't know if this is an ADHD thing or not, but sometimes I'll say, let's go over here. I'll say, let's hear over go, like something like that. It just doesn't make sense. My words get very jumbled. Happens all the time. Drives me crazy. Um, I, in terms of time blindness, I don't know how long a task is going to take me. I have a very hard time allotting the right amount of time. I think things take way less time than they need. That's just very common of me. Um, for example, today's episode is coming out to you late. I'm so sorry, but that's the, the bad time management part on my end. And that's just classic of ADHD. Um, some other ways that it presents... Very bad at cleaning the house. I am I'm always dealing with some sort of mess that I'm like retroactively cleaning up. Um, really bad about picking up my medicines on time. Really bad about turning things in on time. Um, so that's kind of where the time blindness takes place for me. And then I guess like as a general question of what does it what is it like living with ADHD? It's equal parts fun and equal parts challenging. The challenging parts are like the parts that I'm like trying to keep up with society and like the expectations that society has placed on me and other people with ADHD. Um, but it's also really fun because we just have like a really like, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it, but a really fun perspective on life. Like there's always something interesting out there. We really like spontaneity, which is the opposite of what my autism likes, which, you know, future episode maybe. But we really like spontaneity. We really like to um, change things up for our brains. Our brains get bored very easily. Oh my God, it's so easy to be bored. It's horrible. Um, because I will fall in love with something, become obsessed with it, and then I will run it dry where it becomes the most boring subject for me of all time because I've already learned everything about it. And if somebody tries to teach me about it, ooh, I'll get even more annoyed because I already know, okay? Um, yeah, so that's what it's like living with ADHD for me. Are there other people in my family with ADHD? Do they have a similar or different experience than I do? As far as my immediate family goes, um, diagnosed anyways, it's just my mom and my older brother. Actually, maybe even my dad. I'm not 100% sure on that. I probably should do a little bit more family history research, um, but I'm 100% sure that my mom and my brother have ADHD. Um, I think my dad is in a similar boat as me in which like we don't know where the official diagnosis is, or maybe I just don't know the official diagnosis and I'm just like ill-informed. Um, but how is it similar and how is it different? 
Um, after speaking with my mom and learning about her neurodivergent symptoms, we share a lot in common. We often get very frustrated, but we are also like really well-meaning and we feel really hurt when other people don't understand us or when other people think that we're trying to take advantage of them, but we're really just trying to like understand a situation or rationalize information. Um, we're also like more like logical than emotional. Like we might be emotional people, but like our logical brain will take over and, and kind of like make us heartless in some ways. Um, and then my older brother, he, you know, I would like to know a little bit more about how he is in life now with his ADHD. I don't know. I mean, I, this sounds awful because I feel like I don't know my family well enough at all. I, I don't know uh, how his ADHD is treating him in adulthood. Um, as a kid, like I said, our symptoms differed in the ways that he's like very classically like boy ADHD, hyperactive, jumping around things, you know, very inattentive, things of that nature. And then for me, it differs in, in kind of like I was more of like a girl. What do they call it? I was more like spacey. I, my head was in the clouds. I was that kind of ADHD kid. Instead of like building stories around other people and having other people be involved, all the stories were in my head and all of the emotions and whatnot were in my head. A lot of my ADHD symptoms are internalized. And I think the same thing with my autism. Um, and a lot of the people in my life are not that way. Their symptoms are very outward. So that's kind of, again, why it took me so long to get diagnosed is because I just wasn't really educated well enough to realize that a lot of these symptoms can also be internalized. They don't need to be external to be valid. So this next question, I'm kind of struggling to answer. I don't, I, I don't know how I feel about the question yet. And I'm having to take a little bit of a step back and do a little bit of research on it before I actually answer it because I don't want to misspeak. So the question says, does ADHD give you any superpowers? Like you are better at something than most people. And it, I don't, I don't like this question. It kind of feels a little hurtful because I think instead of viewing ADHD as a disorder, it, this question is viewing it sort of like, oh, well, let's ignore all of the struggles that you're going through in life. And let's look at the one thing in your life that you can do better than a neurotypical person, because everything else in your life you cannot do as a neurotypical person. And I, I understand that that is not what this question is asking, but I've seen this question asked a lot in the autism community as well. And I've seen a lot of pushback for a similar reason. Um, and I think it's because when you're looking at autism or ADHD with this lens of you have a superpower, it completely ignores the fact that it's a disability. Um, ADHD is a disability and so is autism. And because of that, there are things in our life that, are, that make us struggle or make us hurt in ways that other people do not. So like generally, no, we don't have superpowers. People with ADHD don't have superpowers. People with autism don't have superpowers. I mean, yeah, you do have the the phenomenon of um, a savant, but I think generally this is kind of a harmful way to look at at ADHD or autism because most of the time I'm not in a state of 
doing something better than most people. 90% of my life, I'm doing things worse than most people. So um, I'm going to, I'm just going to say no to that one, but let's revisit that down the line. I don't want to sound like upset at the question, but I also just, I just want to be aware of how we're shaping the conversation around the disorders. Um, Because at the end of the day, each individual person's like, quote, superpower is not dependent on their disorder. It's just like, it's the circumstances of life that they're given in general. Like, I can't point to my ADHD and say that that's why I'm creative. Like, it could have been a million other things in my life. So that's that answer. Okay, uh, next question. Has medication been helpful? It has. It has been helpful. And like I said earlier, I'm still trying to figure out my exact dosage. So it's not perfect, but we're figuring it out. And it's helping me concentrate more and helping me um, not forget to do things, which is great. And then, okay, so this last question says, any advice for others with ADHD? Um, I think if you are already diagnosed with ADHD, you probably have plenty of resources already. If you don't, um, the website that I just read the quiz from is a great resource for people with ADHD. It's called iampayingattention.co.uk. I'm going to put the link, obviously, in the description down below so you guys can click over to it and grab those resources. But uh, getting yourself involved in a community with people who are like-minded I found Reddit to be very helpful. I found TikTok to be very helpful. Um, Twitter, basically all social media. And I just started following accounts of people who are speaking of their experience, either from a very serious way of like, here, let's help you cope, or just like a very humorous way, like meme pages and things like that, just to make me laugh and feel less alone. Um, Definitely start there. If you do not have an ADHD diagnosis and you are wanting to get one and or you're just curious about it, I think the best place to do is just start reading and absorbing every experience of the people in your life who have ADHD, as well as absorbing the experiences of people online that maybe have similar experiences to you, in which you've never found a person in your immediate life that has that same, you know, outward experience or has that same relatability. So, Definitely start reading, start researching, start asking questions. Um, Something that I did for my autism journey is I have a notes in my notes app that lists literally every single symptom that I think is possibly connected to autism. I did not need to do this with ADHD because by the time I finished really diving into autism right before I wanted to get my ADHD diagnosis, I'm pretty confident. Like I didn't need to make a list of those things. I was like, yeah, I got this. It's in my back pocket. I am as ADHD as you can get. Um, which is really funny and ironic considering my history, uh, with mental health. So if you need to create a list, create a list and then find yourself a healthcare provider who's able to help you get diagnosed. There are more and more resources now um, than ever to get a diagnosis, especially if you're a woman, especially if you're assigned female at birth. And then the last piece of advice is kind of touching on um, the conversation earlier of why uh, women or people assigned female at birth do not get diagnosed. And that's because they're not seeing a professional that is aware of the nuance, aware of the differences that ADHD presents itself in other types of people other than cis men. So 
do some research. That's basically all you got to say. And uh, find some funny meme pages. If you laugh way too hard at a meme because you're like, that is me to a T, I think that's probably enough for you to start looking for a professional. Um, there are going to be a lot of people who disagree with me, but hey, you know yourself better than anyone. And at the end of the day, if a diagnosis helps you manage your life better, manage your relationships better, manage your happiness better, then that's all that's needed. So this has been a full episode with Katie. I usually do a shorty solo, but this week I cannot stop talking. Thank you so much for joining me on this conversation. And I hope that you guys are walking away with lots of information, lots of insight. And if you felt like this was just like one ADHD ramble that went nowhere, maybe you should ask more questions and then I can answer them. Um, that's not being mean, I hope. I, I don't mean that with any meanness. I mean that with love. So anyways, you guys, I am hungry and I got to head out. I'm going to go put this episode together for you. And I don't know, maybe go some, get some more mango cheeks because those mangoes were really good. All right. Well, much love to you guys. Hit us up on Instagram at the Coconut Grove Pod. Leave us with a five-star glowing review. Please write us something. Don't just put like five stars and walk away. Like write us something. Let us know what your favorite episode is or what specifically you like. Tell us what episodes are your favorite. We would love to hear all of those details because you make up this podcast just as much as we do. All right. And with that, I'm out of here. Thank you guys. See you next week. This has been Katie with ADHD. So long. Farewell to you. Bye.